And that was You're Only Happy When It Rains by Garbage. I think that's a particularly suitable song, actually, because we've had Terminator on this often, and Shirley Manson did go on to become a Terminator. Yeah. She, she, she also talks about people pouring their misery down. Uh, I'm not really sure what a rain of misery would look like, uh, concretely. I mean, just you know, sad smileys falling from, this, falling from the sky. I was looking through the Wikipedia article on types of metaphor for heavy rain, obviously raining cats and dogs, uh, and it, it's got every single country. Uh, is, it, is it always different animals, or is it... So it's raining as... I think there's something like raining Swiss pen knives for one country. <laughs> like it was certainly really... It sort of gets quite nasty, because needles definitely come up, I'm sure. Which mm. makes sense. It, yeah. well, it, could, it could be referring to pine needles. You know, walk, walk, walk in a forest, you know, on a windy day, all, all, like pine needles falling on your head. It, it can hurt. They also have a nice picture where someone has painted a picture of it raining cats and dogs, and also very nicely put pitchforks coming down the rain. And that's apparently some important picture to have on Wikipedia. There's a lot of very useful things on Wikipedia. But the reason I was looking this up was because in the film Magnolia ends with uh, it raining frogs. 
and this, this is a thing which is, this is a kind of concept which comes up in a lot of fiction, right? Of you know, raining cats and frogs. Well, raining like freak freak weather events. There were, um, and, and also in in nonfiction, for example, there are some famous uh, plagues in a major religious text which involve uh, various things falling from the sky. Um, yep. Yep. Fish. Fish, yeah, I mean, f- fish. If you go actually looking for what people have said has happened, because it's really odd, because apparently no one's actually got any scientific research on this. At least that's what I found when having a quick look for it. And it said that it's all anecdote, but there's lots and lots of anecdote of things like you say, fish. Yeah. Uh, frogs are very common, as happened in Magnolia. Yeah, they get sucked up in water spouts. That is one of the current theories. The other one is just massive updrafts and sort of pulling up with the water. But I think water spouts makes more sense to me. Yeah. So how, how do water spouts come come about? So they can be a big chunky weather system that comes through. It's like a tornado out at sea, and then. Uh, so it'll be like a normal tornado sucking up things from the ground and it sucks up a, a fish and then that weather system moves on and then it, it rains the fish on the... I mean, in the US, they've, they've had parts of a cow fall down. Well, they weren't entirely parts, sure it was a cow because it was a bit... Oh, uh, yeah. A, a selection of fine uh, fillet steaks or something. Uh, I think it was quite manky. Uh, I've actually, really bizarrely, I've seen a tornado on the A4 t- A428. In... Whoa. Just down there. Yeah, if you go on YouTube, you can find it. How, how big? Little. Okay. But they, they happen, they're just really tiny in yeah. England and very un- well, they're really impressive but very uninteresting. Is it, is it at all predictable how a, um, a, like a, a small weather system can develop into a huge one? It's, that's a good question. I think it's a, there's a lot of people working on that at the moment. I think right. people would love to know where tornadoes go or where hurricanes go. Mm. I think they saw that in the last hurricane that came along. Um, there is some degree of predictability, but I think essentially uh, weather is a pretty unpredictable system. I think they can, over a couple of days or a couple of hours, they, they definitely know where it's going to go. Um, beyond about three days, it's, it's mostly anyone's guess. So it's, so it's getting into realms of you know increasingly vanishingly small probabilities of a, a really wide variety of possible developments. Yeah, I think that's... Um, that's that's the the saying where the butterfly effect comes in. Mm-hmm. So if a butterfly flaps its wings over here in Cambridge, it'll it'll turn into a gust of wind that turns into a bigger gust of wind that'll end up affecting a, a hurricane in Japan. Or I mean, and this is the thing of chaotic systems, isn't it? That little bit of energy or uh, input just causes it to sort of push over a knife edge, which changes it from one thing to another. Definitely, it's a uh, it's what it's what they call in in maths and in, in science they call it uh, a nonlinear system that is that sensitively depends on it initial conditions so obviously one of the reasons you brought up butterflies is you've actually written a children's book haven't you on this i have it's a it's a story called butterfly flow and the everything effect and it's about a, a butterfly in the australian bush that learns about the butterfly of chaos theory so they're sitting in class one day and he's got a teacher which is a possum it's an australian animal kind of like a squirrel and his possum teacher tells him about chaos theory and about the butterfly effect and how a butterfly can change the weather on the other side of the world and uh butterfly flow is he's amazed by this it's like wow uh, maybe maybe i can make hurricanes too and he's trying to think about all the different weather systems that he made during his life and he goes around flapping his wings and then slowly he meets a couple of different characters that find out hang on maybe it's not just a butterfly effect maybe it's a, a butterfly and all things with wings effect that he learns with an emu friend that's emu's like a big ostrich that you find in australia and then he goes on to talk to a wombat, another animal in Australia, and he says, well, I learned this amazing theory. Um, it's called the butterfly effect. And then we, we found out that it's actually maybe a butterfly and all things with wings effect because our wings make wind. And then the, the wombat shows him other ways of making wind. And he finds out, well, maybe it's a butterfly and all living things effect. And it, and it goes on until he, he learns with, with another butterfly friend of his that actually it's, it's everything that affects the weather. It's not just living things. It's not just uh, plants and trees and animals it's the sun and the heat that we get from the sun the sun the heat that comes from the middle of the earth the way the earth spins on its axis uh 
the way the Earth spins around the Sun, the way the Moon spins around the Earth, um, it all affects how the weather how the weather goes on. So, I mean, that's really interesting to try and get across to young kids. I mean, do you, how, how many kids have you sort of tested this on? How many, well do they sort of grasp the idea? Mm. Uh, I tested it mostly on my my family and my cousins, um, <laughs> and my my nephews and my mates' nephews, and, and they like it. I think it's it's I think with any kid's story, it's best when you read it aloud and you kind of paint pictures as you're going along with little stuffed animals. But yeah, I think I think kids can get it. I think um, if you paint a picture well, I think kids and adults, uh, anyone can get get the basic concept that things depend sensitively on, on each other that we all so if, if this butterfly was um, in Australia does that mean that the um, due to Coriolis effect the water went down the toilet the other way yeah mate so it's <laughs> <laughs> well <laughs> no <laughs> I just thought we should cover that <laughs> <laughs> Yet another case of, of popularly believed science fiction there, I guess. Yeah. On the the uh, water water and toilet the other way around. Yeah, I, I think it it's it is true, it's a, it's a definitely a bit of physics, the Coriolis effect, but um in your in your toilet or in the washing up bowl it it, uh, it more depends on how the how you spin it in the first place or the way you the way your washing bowl's set up. So was that in the context of uh, the, moving back to your story for a moment, was that in the context of kind of 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 a collection of um outreach to kids on esoteric branches of mathematics and uh, science which have startling relevance to their everyday lives? A little bit, yeah. There's a there's a story that I'm, I'm working on at the moment called uh, Aldebrub and the emu, uh, the emu that could fly. So the way that the way the moon is flying around the Earth is that it's it's always falling towards the Earth, but it's it started off kind of going along its side. And so it's it's always falling, but it's kind of missing the Earth as it goes around. So if you were an emu, like a, a big bird that runs really fast, and you ran really fast and took a big jump, you'd land on the ground. But if you took an bi- even bigger jump, you'd land a bit further than when you did. And if you took an even bigger jump, you'd land so far that the Earth starts to curve away from you. And if you go fast enough, the Earth will keep curving away from you. And that's the principle of gravitational orbit. I think it was Douglas Adams who said that uh, the, 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 the skill of flying is to, ju- is to fall towards the ground and miss. Yeah, just, that's just exactly it. it. That is exactly it. No, I mean, that's the same argument if you went up to the Everest, of Everest and got a big enough gun and shot the bullet, it would hit you in the back. Because it would go right the way yeah, around the Earth and come that, back. that is exactly the idea. Yeah. Yep. You, you, yeah, um, not a good idea to try that one. No. Don't, 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 don't try that at home or on top of a mountain. <laughs> so the other movie I've got down on my bits of paper was in 1998, there was the Avengers. And by this I mean the British Avengers, not the superhero Avengers. Um, which the British Avengers was a very strange, surrealist TV show involving bowler hats. And um, I don't know if it's actually British made, but I always think it's British. And in it, uh, the two Avengers try and stop a guy who's b- building a machine to change the weather across Earth. Now, do you think it's possible to make a weather-controlling machine? Definitely. I think we um, we make them all the time. I think we're, we are weather-controlling machines ourselves. But the, the trick would be to, to make weather that you can control. And I think... Uh, so, so weather controlling as opposed to weather affecting, I guess. Yeah, or, or predictably affecting. Mm. I guess that, that's an interesting question. I think um, so. I know that I think China is something something China's investigated recently is cloud seeding. Um, so, weather systems come typically from the west, and they go up there and they they disperse some some particles. I'm not sure the exact particles they put, but they, they disperse particles in the clouds, and it helps rain droplets form around those particles and helps rain fall out of the sky. And it's a it's a question that we're gonna I think encounter more and more. I think people are gonna think well. Who should have control over that? And who who's that water belong to? Does that belong to China or countries to the east or provinces to the east? Or yeah, yeah, I mean, because you can cause one country to become a desert by stopping any water going. Definitely, to definitely. I um, hadn't even considered that. Well, we're quite lucky though, because we've got Wales, which stops all the water coming to us. So we we get a nice, nice sunny climate where Wales is always wet. 
<laughs> they would have liked that song that you played earlier. Yeah, well, it does always rain in Wales. <laughs> uh, even more so in Scotland. Yeah, well, Shirley Manson being Scottish, maybe it's, you know. Maybe, maybe it's it. Oh, you'd have to be happy when it rains in Scotland. Um, they get very confused when it's sunny, I hear. I've only been there a couple of times. Right, so um, whilst I just rabble on, uh, I'm going to move on to our next track, and this will lead us into our next topic. Oh, good shirts you wear 
103.2 camfm.co.uk your station your camfm okay that was um space oddity by david bowie which you may all will know um interesting because as far as i'm aware that's actually about major tom not surviving his mission yeah, I think you have to fill me in on who Major Tom is exactly. Uh, uh, probably knowing David Bowie, it could be him. What, what was the mission? Uh, he just seems to go away, and everyone goes like, "Yay!" And then he goes to ground control to Major Tom. We can't receive you. And um, then he has a bad time, <laughs> which of course is odd because no one has actually technically died in space. Really? Yeah, Columbia was inside the Earth's atmosphere, and Challenger never got off really past the launch pad. I mean, I suppose uh, some of the animals that were sent up initially may have died in space. They're not people. Ooh, ethics. Well, no, I did say yes. people. I'm not saying it's okay. <laughs> um, I, yeah. Um, yeah, don't get me in trouble with um, Peta or whatever it is. Um, so, yeah, there's a reason I played a space song, mainly because I like it, but partly because um, space is a really big implication, or Chaos Theory has a big implication on sp- modelling space, because we can't actually solve uh, mathematically a problem of three or more bodies in space. Yeah, it's, it's totally true. I think um, it's... We're only in such a nice, stable orbit uh, because the sun is so massive. Um, I think for, for systems where there's where there's two stars, it, there, there are definitely stable points. Um, but once you start bringing a, a third sizable object in there, third third body that's that's going around, um, it becomes it becomes impossible. It's a, it's a chaotic system, and it. Um, yeah, descends in time predictably. So, so is the problem that you're trying? As I, as I understand the, the end, body, yeah. end body problem, that the issue is that you try to to model the motion of uh, one object. Yep. You have to fix the other two or n instantaneously and calculate an infinitesimal yep. motion of the th- of the of the nth one. Definitely. And then iterate this, but depending on the size of the uh, your your instance, yep. the, you get wildly differing solutions. Yep. So I think the way so we can predict kind of where the Earth goes because. We can assume that the sun doesn't move that much, um, and the same with with two systems. You can do the do the same with with two big stars. I think you can predict where they go because um, they're both. There's just one interaction that's going on. Um, but when you have three, then you have to go. Well, this one moves this way a little bit, and the other one moves this way a little bit. And how does that affect the third, which is moving at the same time? And then, it, yeah. so of course, this is um, not a pro- well. It probably is a slight problem. But when NASA did the, like something like the Voyager probe, which went around ten different planets, or however uh-huh. many we don't have ten planets, uh-huh. but. Um, yeah, ten different objects in space. Let's go. Yeah, with that. let's just make something up. Um, but yeah, the main thing I was trying to get to was because the probe's so small, it isn't in, it isn't causing an interaction with the planet it goes around. Definitely, I think it's yeah, it's a bit easier to, to track where it where it needs to go and how to slingshot it around different planets to head out into outer space. Even so, that was must be very nail biting for the person who worked out that route. Yeah, you wouldn't want to get it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> so so what one. Um, kind of faintly related uh, topic in computer science is you have the concept of a randomized algorithm where you have an algorithm which is not guaranteed to be correct Mm -hmm. Um, but often you find that these algorithms are algorithms which are probabilistically correct are much more much faster than um, ones which are guaranteed correct for example uh, verifying very large files over a network you could either send the whole file to the other person and have them check it's the same mm-hmm. or you could calculate some function of it on both sides which is generally called a hash um, and then you just compare these two values and there's a m- very very small chance you, you, that two different files end up with the same hash yeah. uh, but the great thing about uh, randomized algorithms is you can generally tweak the parameters to make the uh, error acceptably small yeah. so is this something that c- comes up in like an end, end, body, end body problem and more generally in chaotic systems where you can where you can't find precise solutions to uh, the systems but you can minimize the error to a certain point it's an interesting question i think uh, so there, there are a couple of different ways to to get a, a solution that's really hard to calculate analytically uh, one is to to try something and then 
see how much it doesn't work and then try something else and try something else, try something else kind of iteratively until you kind of hope that you can verge on the right solution. Mm -hmm. And another way is to just go, boof, we're going to try like a hundred different goes with all different uh, parameters and then see which one comes out the closest and then boof, do that again closer to around there and boof, do it around there. And that's... uh, I think, that, yeah, they call it Monte Carlo modelling, and I think it's, right. it's a pretty good way to go about it. Yeah, because you, can't you work out pi using Monte Carlo methods? You just get a sheet of paper, you draw a circle in a square, and you drop stuff on it, and the number of dots inside the circle compared to outside the circle in in the square will be some value of pi. Wow, that's that's pretty cool. I've never heard of that. But it was a really simple way of calculating pi, yeah, and you just count up the dots. And it, it, it converges remarkably quickly. That's why I thought was was so fascinating about that. I mean, it's given that... Like pi is the ratio of a circle to a straight line related to the size of the circle. It stands yeah. to reason that, that you could calculate something by just dropping simulated iron filings onto this circle within a square. Yeah. But it's incredibly accurate incredibly quickly. That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Super interesting. The other example I was going to talk about was the double pendulum, which is kind of cool because it's so easy to do. So if you take a clock pendulum, uh, that moves really predictably. Um, in fact, you can model it till the cows come home, kind of predictable. It is always got a constant period, things like that. But as soon as you put a pendulum on your pendulum, it becomes chaotic. Yeah, definitely. It's a, it, it's a beautiful system, actually, because so there are, so the pendulum, I think everyone knows how that works. And the double pendulum, there are, there are modes, what, what physicists call modes of, of normal behavior. So you could see... So the pendulum, one mode of behaviour is that the pendulum will swing just like a normal pendulum, and another mode of behaviour will be that the the second pendulum will spin around, and the other one will be going like a normal pendulum. Um, so there's there's these different modes that we can observe and recognise within the system, uh, but then they're, they're the exception rather than the rule. The vast majority of the behaviour will be it, it's amazing. It looks like a a dancing dancing object around itself, and you can't you can't tell which way it goes. And it, it all depends on how you spun it at the start, and you know the wind and the friction in the bearings. But yeah, it's, it's completely unpredictable after. And and, and the and the uh, the unstable states don't eventually settle into the stable states. It's that's a that's an amazing thing about chaos is that um, so it can start off as as really predictable and then can de- descend into chaos, and then every now and then it can come back into this predictable mode. So it might be just doing something absolutely crazy, and then. At one point in time, the the conditions will be right to to come back into a nice observable mode, and then over time that'll decay into something else. That's that's crazy again. Oh, beautiful! So 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 you see this like this crazy dance, and suddenly, yep. out of out of nowhere, it snaps Definitely. back into. It happens with with all kind of chaotic systems. Yeah. Wow, that's fascinating. So, which again, you're talking about stable modes, which brings me back to something I was, forgot to ask about when we talk about space. Is yep. you get a thing in space called Lagrange points, which are these points of sort of stability in a three-body system. Yep. Uh, presumably, they're completely solvable. Yeah, I think I think you can find where the Lagrange points are. Um, I think it, it is more difficult to, un- to to pick and to predict when a system will converge on one of these points. Um, but no, that there, there's definite. So in this kind of map of all this chaotic behaviour in stable modes, there it's, you can definitely predict certain patterns in there. You can definitely predict certain stable modes, or and you can tell whether a mode is stable or unstable. So whether it's going to stay there for a while and just once it gets there, it'll just sit there forever, or if it's like a ball on top of a hill, whether you just put it on there and any little movement will swing it back down the, the other side of the hill. Yeah, I mean that's the other thing I understand about the ground points. You have some which are points of stability where yeah. are a minima, so yeah. like a pot at bottom hill and some are actually a maximum yep. so whilst it will sit there yep. that isn't actually all that stable yep. and the common ones I've talked about are the ones if I remember correctly the earth and the sun yep. have a Lagrange point is it a th- part, third of an orbit backwards 
So it's at some fixed interval yeah. between, I guess because the, the Earth is so small compared to the Earth, so, so much less massive than the Sun. Well, it's, it's more, it's not so much that, but it's the fact that you can, it's a continuous spot where it just drags around a minima of gravity. So in that spot, you find asteroids start accumulating. Well, if, wow. So if you take something like Jupiter or Saturn, which is much bigger, you get quite a big area of density of rubbish. Cool. And at, at, at a calculatable distance between it and the sun, which is the largest gravitational body yeah. in its... And there's another one. If you take the moon and the Earth, there's a point like front and behind the moon, which are a couple of Grange points. And in there, they um, like to park some of the satellites because they're relatively stable. So they need minimal fuel to hold uh, position. Oh wow! So it's a, a, a cheap route to geostationary, or at least well, it's, well, not, it's, it's not. It's not geostationary. What's quite useful is it's a long way out, and you're not going to lose it. A long way out, but but manageable and predictable. Yeah. Wow. And um, and the reason this sort of leads into something because in sci-fi they often use uh, Lagrange points um, as a interesting part of a story. And uh, one that came to mind is in Peter F. Hamilton's Night Dawn trilogy, which is pretty best described as zombies in space. Um, when one of the planets is about to get taken over, the uh, lead character can't get away in time. Because this is a really odd thing. Despite the fact that Fast and Light Travel has never been seen, it's apparently consistently in storybooks not able to be done in a gravitational field. Right, because I've, I've come across a lot, a lot of stories which, which involve, you know, placing wormholes at Lagrange points in solar systems and, you know, right. um, and you know other forms of, uh, if not faster than light travel, faster than light communication and yeah. so on. So in this story, what he does is he aims for the Lagrange point between the moon and the planet because he knows there would be a stationary point with respect to the gravitational field and engages his FTL at that point. But it is really odd that you've got this sort of culture about how you write a fast and light drive now in science fiction there are a bunch of memes like this the other one which I have presumably waxed lyrical about in the past there are various you know assumptions that are made about you know the singularity the rapture of the nerds you know the fact that you know consciousness gets uploaded is taken as given in a whole you know swathe of fiction and the mechanics of doing so are you know roughly the same in all of them I guess because once we've accepted that this is how how you do this kind of story it's easier for both the author and the reader to just assume that I take that as a given because then you can get onto the meat of the story yep well um, we're going to leave that topic now but obviously we're not going to move too far from the um, the stable point today. yeah well, stable <laughs> point no nothing stable here um, you might all fall down uh, anyway so here's the uh, next track
Station. Your station. Your station. 97.2. Your Cam FM. Hello and welcome back. That was, of course, Iron Man by Black Sabbath, which I played for no reason to have Iron Man, just because it has the one line, uh, well, four lines actually, he was turned to steel in the great magnetic field when he travelled in time for the future of mankind. And of course we're going to get on to some sort of time travel now. Uh, but I just want to first say, I'm not convinced that magnetic fields turn you to steel. I mean, has this ever been tested? Have you ever sat in a huge magnetic field? I mean, MRI, MRIs. M- most people who go go through an MRI, I would wager, do not come out as huge lumps of steel. No. What's the theory? I, I it's, it's a lyric of a song that, it, that Iron Man was made into steel by a great magnetic field, which I find questionable because, well, if anything, to make him into steel, they would have had to add carbon particulates. And, mm. and a lot of iron. Well, he, well, he maybe started his iron. Okay. That's where you convert iron to steel. Well, it rhymes. So it, do, it does rhyme, and I, I don't know if Black Sabbath were known for their chemistry. He, he, was tur- he was turned to steel by an extensive series of operations involving a lot of steel. Also <laughs> rhymes, but doesn't scan quite so well. Well, it's more likely he's put into a blast furnace they added um, silicates to <laughs> remove uh, really the impurities, hot. which forms <laughs> calcium silicate, and then they... Um, no, I'm going to... Have you ever considered a career as a fiction writer? Oh, well, no, not using GCSE chemistry. Um... You know, it's actually on the course how to purify iron. Not how to turn people into iron men. No, okay. no, that that should be a new degree. Hmm. Um, so I guess, so I guess the the, 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 the kind of. Um since we love talking about time travel so much, we can now talk about time travel as a, uh, sy- a system which feeds back on itself, mm-hmm. you know, with the standard, you know, killing your own grandmother kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. But also, like, so there have been a few uh, more s- subtle treatments of that kind of phenomenon. Yeah. Well, the first one we're going to look at is The Butterfly Effect. Yep. Which I, I'm, I'm not actually sure it's a good film. No, it, I, I mean, it's it's cool. Like, it's, I think it gets you thinking about uh, what could happen if you went back and changed time. I think everyone thinks that in their lives. Like, oh, man, I wonder what would be different if, you know, that happened instead of this or... But it, it, it's got it's got a lot of nudity and gratuitous, un- gratuitous violence in it for no good reason. Uh, well, that's, that's Hollywood, yeah. So. If, if you travel through time, you, you you cause people to have a to go horribly, horribly wrong in that story. <laughs> yeah, uh, okay. you, can, you can't possibly go right. Um, but the general premise that you can't predict what you're going to do by changing a moment in the past is actually really good. Yeah, I think uh, so. The, so the grand, I think the grandfather hypothesis or grandmother hypothesis is a, it's pretty. It's a pretty rock solid one, yeah. I think uh, it's it's pretty hard to go back in time and, and kill your grandma. Well, there's a lot of debate about that. We had Andy Ponson who gave the yeah. alternative arguments that you end up splitting, making another universe, yeah. or the universe already exists and you travel into that. Yeah. Um, I did find out there's a name for the grandfather hypothesis. Um, it is called the Novikov self-consistency principle. Yeah, right. Um, see, Wikipedia has its uses. I don't know if that's a real name. I've always heard it called the grandfather effect. Well, I guess this is, this is similar to the butterfly effect, or you know, b- being a popular name for you know a particular application of chaos theory. Yeah, I think um, it, was, it was interesting. I, I got to hear my my old physics professor back in Australia talk about this, and um, his take on it was that we assume that if we we had time travel, we'd be able to act as as we normally do. Um, but he said that. In some ways, maybe if we had time travel, we would be constrained by the things that we we could do, and that by the, so maybe our, our free will would be, would be affected by time travel. Well, what this affects as in it's sort of a long form way of putting it, but because you know the result, the probability of you breaking results zero. Hmm. So I, I believe this was dealt with in um, the time traveler's wife, um, where there's, there's there's a scene which the character keeps revisiting, but he can't. 
uh, he he uh, it's not clear to me whether he whether he whether he knows that he mustn't do this or whether the things conspire to stop him doing this but he can't modify what happens because to do so would remove the incentive for him to revisit this point it's not even that it would remove his, like the trajectory that led him to travel in time it's that it would remove any reason for him to have been there in the first place yep. like, for any reason even even if he affects it in such a way that it doesn't actually affect the ultimate outcome he still yep. can't affect it anyway uh, i think i think the butterfly effect is a uh is amazingly true. I think if he if he went back and changed it a, a tiny thing, um, say fifty years ago, a hundred years ago, I think it, it, it's, yeah. it's unimaginable how different the world would be. I mean, the other the other type of of result from time travel and changing things that happens is the. I think it's better sort of suggested sort of a ripple effect. But as you get further away from the change in the past, mm-hmm. the less effect it has. I, I think it's, it's um, yeah. that's used in sci-fi often to say, well, if you go back in time and you do something, when you come back to the future, only a very small amount's changed, and that's a really useful fictional premise. Yeah. But I don't see that happening in practice. No, definitely not. I think uh, I, I think we can we can see it we can see it all the time, definitely with the weather. And I think the weather's a good thing to think about because they say a butterfly flapped or you, you changed something or you waved your hand 100 years ago that would create a different weather system definitely within you know, 10 years for sure and I think there are so many things in human behaviour that depend on the weather say you know whether someone's in a good mood or whether there's a, a car accident because of a slippery road or a hurricane go, goes along here or uh, oh. it's a sunny day and people fall in love I think it's a, it's a I mean this is the um, sort of way sliding doors work that one door shutting in front of a girl going on the train yep. changes her and the entire story yep I think I, I think almost every, every point in our lives is, is one of those moments yeah yeah and I mean it was a really good way of showing I mean I nearly 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 stepping Iron Man uh, picked Aqua turn back time uh, because if anyone remembers that's the theme tune to that movie but I just couldn't push myself to purchasing a copy off a music store yeah there, there are times and places for Aqua and th- this uh, this century is not one of them <laughs> <laughs> though they're making a comeback they're recording a new album are they? cool um, I'm, so, I'm sorry for, for ruining all of your Sundays with that fact I, I thought she had a solo career I, I I bow before your superior aqua knowledge. I was disappointed if didn't make a comeback album after. <laughs> no, no, I, I didn't. Um, but yeah, so Sliding Doors is obviously the story where uh, Gwyneth Paltrow doesn't make it onto a tube train and it has a complete effect on how that small thing just runs for her life. And then, because it's a movie, they tie it up at the end, don't they, with her meeting the bloke she met anyway. Spoiler alert. But the... um, Sorry, it's been over a decade since that movie came out. If you haven't seen it, (laughs) we we have a decade principle on the show. Yeah, statute of limitations or something. But I guess, like, so that that show is appealing to, you know, if if you change one tiny thing in the past, then, you you know, ultimately things will restabilise, or you can make a small change subsequently and try and repair it, which is something that people keep wonder about climate change. Yeah. Okay, we've you know, made these, made these you know, colossal errors. Uh, is there any way we can repair this? And as far as I can tell, the answer seems to be no or no idea. I think uh, definitely with something like the climate, I think it's a, such a massive system that to be able to, to think about trying to control it is a is a really tough problem. I think people are thinking about it at the moment. Um, no, I think it's a it's a it's a massive system, and we're we're pretty small actors in that. Uh, in that system, but we we are having an effect. Uh, but I think to to control it after the effect is, has gone is is a much harder thing than than trying to stop that in right. the first place. Especially when you're talking about an effect that's been go- building ever since uh, modern farming was invented by the Egyptians. Definitely. As soon as they changed the landscape, it changed the uh, albedo of the earth, how much it reflected sure. light, and how much it heated. And sure. you know that we're talking about thousands of years of. Uh, things I know the recent stuff have a biggest effect, but you can see on the charts yep. that, that it's been having effect for that long. And I mean, my argument normally is on this because I know it's a very contentious issue, um, and I know a lot of people 
I, probably not so people listen to the show don't agree with climate change um, but I would argue if they're right all we've done is you know try, cut back on polluting the world if uh, they're wrong uh, we're completely stuffed so 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 what you're saying in essence there is um Assuming climate change is happening, we should act as if climate change is happening, uh, because uh, to not do so, you lose nothing, but to do so, you win a lot. Yeah. That's been an argument that's been used uh, unsuccessfully, I would say. It's a long surpassed argument of, of thinking in favour of religion, actually. Yes, Pascal's wager. That's I do know that. Um, yeah, I mean, Pascal's wager for religion has a different problem, because um, it basically... I don't want to get too deep onto religion, but the trouble with Pascal's wager it basically means requires you to lie to God. Mm. And it has to say, well, if I pretend to like God, then I still go to heaven. And I, I don't think that... Uh, but, 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 but interestingly, people, people do this in, in, in the world of climate change. There are you know, the musicians who talk about how much they love the planet. And then they fly, fly around on tour. Well, these you two too. actions are not... Hmm, but no. So in, uh, in economics, it's called the, the precautionary principle. And uh, it's saying, uh, if it's, say, 90% likely that, we're gonna, that something might happen, we might as well try to prepare for it at the moment. So, so I think what they say is... It's a it's a good thing to to make our communities more resilient and our our crops more resilient and our uh, the vulnerable societies uh, in like low lying areas of the world uh, resilient and able to move and able to adapt um, and that that'll be a good thing if a hurricane comes and it'll be a good thing if climate change happens and and climates move and I think some of the things that people worry about is it costing lots of money I and mean, it's all this idea certainly in some of the more right wing US individuals who are anti uh, or don't believe in climate change is that it's a way of just siphoning money off of other things but there's an awful lot you can do without spending much money you know um, just I don't think changing light bulbs is a big deal I know there's some people who say ooh they don't like the right way but most people can cope with a different light bulb yeah Sure. Well, there's a whole heap of things you can do. I think uh, yeah. if anyone's getting on David Mackay's book, uh, Sustainability Without Hot Air, is a, is a good yeah, it's, yeah. it's an excellent read. Yeah. And it's, it's available for free on the internet. Yep. So everyone should, well, maybe people should check that out. Maybe they shouldn't. Who knows? Well, I'm certainly not going to stop them. And I'm very pro trying to make the world nice and green. Um, because after all, you know, we, we would like our lives to be wonderful. Because we've only got one Earth. No way. I'm going a bit too far now. <laughs> this is a... <laughs> Let's link overboard. Um, okay, well, I'm going to play this clip from a movie. and I, 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 This is towards the end of the movie, but I hope I get away with it and Will's not going to complain. It's from 1946. Is that okay? Um, yeah, I think yeah, I'll, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll let it slide. It's, you know, a few years here and there. <laughs> I need a couple of good stiff drinks. How about you, Angel? You want a drink? <laughs> Come on, as soon as these clothes of ours are dry. The clothes are dry. I wouldn't know about that. Stove's hotter than I thought. Come on, get your clothes on. We'll stroll up to my car and get... Uh, uh, I'm sorry, I'll stroll. You fly. I can't fly. I haven't got my wings. You haven't got your wings. That's right. matter well this is where i left my car and it isn't here you have no car well i had a car and it was right here i guess somebody moved oh say hey uh, where's my car i beg your pardon my car my car i'm the fellow that owns the car that ran into your tree what tree what do you mean what tree this tree here i ran into it cut a big gash on the side of it there You must mean two other trees. You had me worried. One of the oldest trees in Pottersville. 
Pottersville? Well, you mean Bedford Falls. I mean Pottersville. Don't think I know where I live? What's the matter with you? Well, who are you? I told you, George, I'm your guardian angel. Yeah, yeah, I know. You told me that. Don't you understand, George? It's because you were not born. Well, if I wasn't born, who am I? You're nobody. You have no identity. Oh, what do you mean, no identity? My name's George Bailey. There is no George Bailey. You have no papers, no cards, no driver's license, no 4F card, no insurance policy. You've been given a great gift, George. A chance to see what the world would be like without you. So that was a clip from It's a Wonderful Life, which, as I said originally, is from 1946, which you should all watch at Christmas. Is, so it, it's is it some kind of um, time travel related retelling of um, a Christmas Carol? Well, it's a bit like Christmas Carol. Actually, it's um, what happens is George um, Bailey, uh, the main character, is facing massive debts. If I remember correctly, it's been a little while since I watched it, and uh, he his angel turns up and says he basically says the world would be better if you'd never been born, and he gets to see what the world is like when he's never been born, and it's. Um, I'm quite interested, but it, sh- it goes over his idea of rewriting the world and the butterfly effect it has and how it changed everything, which is really cool because in 1946 that was probably the first example of it ever happening, certainly in TV mm. or movie in this case. And I guess want- want- wanting to see what small changes could have affected history was quite topical in 1946. Yeah. I mean, one thing he mentions is that the snow hasn't fooled. Hmm. And uh, the snow had f- falls in one reality. I mean, that's partly because it makes it prettier in the reality they want you to, f- you know, like. That's pretty visionary in 1946. I think uh, the the term the butterfly effect was only co- coined in 1979 or so with computers. Yeah, I mean, I, I it was never written as a yeah. butterfly, but it was that idea of what that's happens. A great idea. And it, it, as you say, it's Christmas Carol like story. Yeah. And it's sort of he's got this guardian angel who's trying to get his wings. So um, I thought I'd put it in there because I think everyone should watch that once. Uh, it is obviously black and white, but you'll cope. <laughs> but it's, it's reminiscent. The, the clip you played is reminiscent of um, uh, Marty in Back to the Future, uh, remembering uh, seeing the photograph of himself like gradually fading out as he realizes the changes he makes have uh, uh, him landing has affected his family's past. Um, and the massive effects when he loses the old does he lose the almanac or does no? It's Biff gets the almanac from in Back to the Future Two, isn't it? And then. When they go to the future, they discover that Biff's taken over, his ancestors taken over the place. Hmm. So that's the other thing, is Biff completely changes the world. And that, that's the disastrous thing that Doc takes him to see, but... Yeah, and t- t- too much knowledge of what's going to happen is actually a bad thing. Hmm. Well, it lets somebody can win lots of money on sports. <laughs> um, but of course, that always found really interesting, because just having the sports results, as we just said, wouldn't actually work, because you having them betting on a few games would very quickly have an effect on results of the game. It would affect morale, I suppose. Oh, interesting. It would be only work for so long, and then you start, and it slowly it will get less effective, presumably. I wouldn't expect the first 50p bet, but... I well, I suppose things becoming less effective is, again, appealing to a system of self-writing after a while. Yeah. Uh, although I suppose in... in uh, what, uh, I'm thinking of a system that getting worse at time. Uh-huh. So you're going it... Because the... Thing about butterfly effect, it's a very small effect, but it's got to compound over time. So a butterfly in Australia flapping its wings today will not cause a tornado in in Britain at the same time. Mm. It takes time to sort of interact across all the systems. And that's the same thing as if you get something from the future and try and use it. The first time you use it, if it's very soon after the disruptions happened, it'll probably work. Sure. Especially if you gamble. 
gamble in a country on the other side of the Atlantic over the internet, you wouldn't expect there to be much inter- interference by that point. That's an interesting thing. And, and, and I guess we, we could say that weather forecasting, as our favourite example, yeah. uh, is basically exactly this principle. Yeah. We have some data now, we can predict a few days, and after that, <laughs> anyone's bet. There's an old saying in folk- folklore um, about about a nail for, for a horse shoe, and it goes, uh, for want of a nail, a shoe was lost. For want of a shoe, a horse was lost. For want of a horse, a rider was lost. For want of a rider, a battle was lost. For want of a battle, a kingdom was lost, all because of the nail. Mm, nice. Yeah. Is that Australian? I, I think it's general kind of... I've never heard it. English folklore. Yeah. Um, I've just seen clock. We've got six minutes, or well, seven minutes left. So, um, Will, shall I put your track on? Yeah, go for it. Yeah, let's go. Go for it. Okay, I haven't got the CD ready. There we go. Sorry about that, that CD player isn't working for some reason. Um, I will have it fixed in one moment.
and well, I don't know what that was. It was Wheel CD. Well, um, it, it seemed like it, it, it would be a shame to pass up the opportunity to play a track called Chaos. So that was Chaos by Mute Math, who are a great band, who I think are possibly known for having recorded a version of the Transformers theme, which I think might it lowers the middle a bit in my estimations. But oh. hey, what can you do? Uh, it doesn't really have much to do with Chaos apart from the title. But um, what, I, I, while I was listening to that, I stumbled upon some fact about uh, Lorenz, who supposedly realized about the, 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 the effects that um, small deviations can have on yeah. a system when he uh, used some he used as input for, an exp- for a repeated experiment or, or, or sorry, a repeated process on the computer uh, some fl- numbers which had been rounded to three decimal places yeah. and he found that the rounding caused the whole thing to diverge wildly yeah definitely he got, he got a result and then he was like oh he wanted to do it again and he, um, he was like oh, how, do I, how do I do this again and he, he got the printout the computer printout of the result and then plugged it back into the machine and then he found that after after hardly any time at all, it was completely different. He was, he was modelling the weather back in 1979 with wow. some early computers. And was, he checked it again, he did it again, he was like, what's going on? And it, it turned out exactly what he said. It was the rounding of, of a couple of numbers that that made a massive change in the weather in, in no time at all. Wow. That, that reminded me of a, not a uh, short story called Single Bit Error by uh, Ken Liu, uh, which is from an anthology called Thought Crime, Thought Crime Experiments. It's all online if people want to check it out. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this, there's, it, it, it deals with a bunch of things where the character realizes that very small errors have changed his life. For example, uh, he realizes that a table which he remembered being in his childhood home could not possibly have been there when he sees a photograph and from that he realizes a lot of his memories are wrong because they've all incorporated he's fa- he fabricated a lot of parts of you know, his, his past sure. to involve this table in this place sure. and similarly he finds that the software in his car f- fails to work due to a cosmic ray and he hypothesizes that people's religious experiences and so on might be due to cosmic rays as well wow. and so you get into these kind of like into these uh, cases where, where, where the, the, the tiny change is not something in the world it's something in people's own minds sure I think, I think scientists Studying that at the moment, um, I think there's definitely elements of, of chaos and randomness in, in how our brains work, and um, there's some some pretty amazing filtering and, and post processing going on within our brains to pick out pick out bits of information and pick out certain brain waves. And, uh, and yeah. so, so, if we happen to post process slightly slightly differently, then we might perceive the world entirely differently. Maybe, yeah. Our brains are pretty complex systems, and I'm yeah. sure there's a lot of nonlinear feedback going on in there. Well, also the fact that our current best ways to study the brain, like MRI, are just really just give blurry, colourful sure. images, which are great in newspapers, but you got neural level things going on and you're seeing you know a splotch the size of your finger sure in 20 years time i think it's going to be a lot more accurate and it's going to be amazing you think it is going to 20 years because it's a you know mri it's a pretty hard thing to improve on because it's a really sensitive technique sure i, I guess so my guide for that is, is thinking about how where we were 20 20 years ago right. and then so yeah i think we're, we're pretty pretty broad and pretty pretty inaccurate I mean, this, this is a bit meta right uh, we, we, we can't predict how, how things will be in 20 years because yeah. the tiny changes we make now will affect it so dramatically uh, there you go mate <laughs> so, okay. I mean one thing I did find quite incredible is I f- there's a few techniques used for scanning and some of them can be and some of them can't be inside a magnetic field so there's a huge amount of work trying to be able to put things in an MRI machine that currently just can't be there sure because mm-hmm. of the magnetic field and it's like putting things a long way away but then having really good optics to be able to see and things like that hmm. I, guess, I guess we'll have to wait and see where, 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 where the next yeah, few years yeah. takes us and then who knows what will be okay well that's the end of the show thank you for listening um, look forward to listening hearing from you next week even goodbye